you're already a lawyer at that point, right? So you're with all these people that you look up to and you think, how can I get that career trajectory? What does that look like? How do I make my law firm look like theirs? How do I make my practice look like that? How do I attract those kind of clients? So that's how you meet new people who are doing what you do, but they're already light years ahead of you. And there you get your new mentors or your new inspiration. You are listening to You Are a Lawyer. I'm Kyla Denagno, a 2015 law school graduate. You know what I'm loving right now? Podcasts. After a year of editing podcasts for other people, I've started to launch podcasts as well. Yes, if you are a business owner and want to expand visibility, visit skiptheboringstuff.com to learn more about how to launch a podcast and gain a new marketing channel. So visit skiptheboringstuff.com so that you can hire me to be your podcast manager. So welcome to the You Are Lawyer podcast. Ann Hamer, how are you today? I'm excellent. Thank you for asking, Kyla. <laughs> Absolutely. So we were chatting a little bit offline, and I think you have the best accent. Currently, you're in Nashville, Tennessee? That's right. Okay. And are you from Tennessee or? I am. I'm from Memphis. Um, I've lived in Memphis a lot of my life, and I've lived in Nashville a lot of my life. So I, I can't get rid of the accent. I went to law school in New York, and everybody just <laughs> laughed every time I opened my mouth in class. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why I wanted to ask, because I saw in your biography that you went to NYU, which is New York University for law school. So I was just curious, what made you think of going up north? Well, uh, I had a boyfriend in New York. He was a bond trader at what was first Boston back then. That's probably long gone. But um, anyway, I just wanted to be near him. So I applied to a bunch of schools up there and I got lucky. I got into NYU and it's a great school. It was a great experience. I broke up with him before I even started, <laughs> but uh, it was a fabulous experience. I'm still close to all my friends from there. And that's been since 96, so almost 30 years. I loved it in law school. It, the city's just the best vibe in the world. I I never really got the uh, feeling that people from the North were rude or whatever. People in the South always have these preconceived notions, but it was not true at all. I just met so many wonderful, super smart, very educated people. It was a it was a super a very different vibe. Obviously, New York City, you know, it's going to make you or break you. You have to you have to be the best of the best up there. Everybody's competing. Um, so definitely it, it's intense, but I enjoyed it. I loved it. Okay. And then one last question, and that's just because I'm just, I'm curious about everything. So I just want to know, did you ever think about staying in New York after school or did you always plan on going back to Tennessee? You know, I gave it a little bit of thought and I talked to some of my professors about it and they were real honest with me. And I, and I kind of saw what was going on with some of the people I knew who were already practicing there. I just knew I was not going to have any kind of life, no life. I was going to be, you know, working till one, two in the morning every night and yeah. not see, not see the sun for probably four or five years. And I knew there wasn't any chance to make partner really. And now I say that, but most of my good friends have made partner and the ones who got off the partnership track and went in house have fabulous careers. So it's very doable, but it was just coming from the South and knowing that that was going to be so different than my experience would be if I moved back home. I just couldn't get my mind around it, really. Yeah, it just wasn't for you. And that's OK. Mm -mm. Yeah, understandable. All right. And so now that we've talked all about that, you are well recognized as a family lawyer, right? You've been acknowledged by super lawyers. You're a top rated lawyer there in Tennessee. How did you get into family law? What made you decide that that was the practice area for you? You know, that was a fun um, surprise for me. I had 
taken 10 years off to be a mom. I was a stay-at-home mom, and my best friend uh, at the time, she had her own firm, and it was a family law firm. And she called me, and she said, it's time for you to go back to work. And I was like, all right, makes sense. And she goes, I want you to come work for me. Go get your mediator's degree. You know, it's like a mediation certificate. And uh, get that, and then you can come work for me, and you can do one mediation a month. You'll make money, and, it, you know, we want you to come in. So I said, all right, sounds good. Why not? It's time. Uh, the other thing that inspired me, my daughter was sitting in the kitchen with me one day and she was about six or seven. And she said, when I grow up, I'm going to be a stay at home mom like mom. And I thought, oh, we're not going to have that. Like, I, I enjoy this and I, I loved being with my kids when they were growing up and when they were little. But I couldn't have her growing up thinking that made sense for her. You know, everybody needs to be able to go out and work and earn money. So uh, I thought it's time for them to see me work. So I went into family law. I didn't really know anything about it. I had spent some time um, when I was keeping my, my continuing legal education up. I would take family law classes because people at the gym or like at lunch or wherever in my in my housewifey world were always asking me divorce questions. And I didn't know, mm. you know, that's not what I did. So um, I did learn about it in my off time. And I kind of knew it was something interesting to me, um, but it wasn't really until I got divorced that I realized, wow, this is a calling for me. I, I love this. I want to do it. I want to help people. Before, I enjoyed my clients and I liked the work, but I didn't really get it the way I get it now. Yeah. Okay. So that is a really good point that you brought up about how like you didn't kind of get it until you went through your own divorce and then you were kind of like, I see, this is, this is different. Because yeah. when I was reading about you and, and doing my research for the show, I saw that you actually help guide parents on how to deal with post-divorce parenting. Why that specific, you know, niche and like what's different in that guidance as opposed to just regular parenting or other parenting? Well, it's super tricky. Um, I'll tell you, when I got divorced, several of my law partners at the time said, oh, you definitely are going to want a 50-50 parenting plan. And I said, you know, my kids don't really want that. I mean, I don't mm. think that that's a fit for our family. But traditionally, what we would tell people is, yes, 50-50 time is the best. And there are studies that say equal parenting time is better for the kids. So the other thing that as a divorce lawyer, I used to say before I was divorced was kids are resilient. Your kids are resilient. They're going to be okay. I don't tell people that anymore. Yeah, maybe. I mean, some, some psychologists somewhere probably said kids are resilient, but it's not necessarily true. They will, they will turn into new people. Because the divorce is going to change them. They'll never, ever be the person they would have been had you not divorced. So you have to now come up with ways to parent your child in two different households uh, with your ex, who may or may not be someone you like or respect. And, and you have to do that in a way that's going to be the best thing you can do for your child. And who knows what that is? Now, sometimes I do have to say if children are growing up in a household with a lot of acrimony and fighting and unhappiness, of course it is better for them not to have that. Yeah. But at the same time, it is a big change not to have two parents living together. And uh, I, I do try from a, from, to come from a very sensitive place because I have done it with my children. They were pretty young. I think I had a, a fourth and a seventh grader at the time that my kids, that my, that my, that I got divorced. So and they're both girls and it was just a really sensitive time for them. And they, they are great kids now. They're, they're 20 and 17, but it was a hard slog. So 
I, I even called some of my clients after my divorce and I said, I apologize. When you were bawling, crying in mediation and I was looking at you like you were crazy over who's going to buy the kids back to school clothes. I get it now. It's just yeah. so stressful. I love that you focus on that distinction, especially because I can imagine that a lot of people, maybe not family lawyers, but a lot of people would gloss over it, right? Like they'll get through it. They'll understand. Cause I've definitely heard about kids are resilient. Kids are resilient. And I'm like, yeah, but they're resilient because we put them through things, right? Like, yeah. I'm sure yeah. if you had the choice, you would rather not maybe be as resilient and not yes. go through some things. Yes. Um, so I love that you were able to figure out what would work best for your family, best for your girls, right? And you didn't just take someone's word, oh, 50-50, okay, I guess, I guess that's what we're going to do, right? right? You made sure that it really was best for you. Yeah, and that's what I encourage all my, all my families to do. And in fact, it changes, you know, it, it, as time goes on, especially with adolescents, they tend to want to spend more time with their same sex parent. And I kind of try to prepare my clients for that. If I've got the, the mother or the father, what's coming down the pike for that, what that's going to look like. And then what's the judge going to do? Some judges really do want to listen to the children. Other judges feel like, hmm, no, you're going to do it my way. You may not like this, but I feel like you're being alienated from that parent. And I want that parent to have a chance. So you know, the clients, you got to give them all the information they can, you can, and then hope that they can, can use that to work for their own family. Right. Yeah. Because even though there is a change in what you guys were planning, right? Change in expectations, change in the um, parenting, mm -hmm. the relationship and all kinds of levels of it, you're still connected, right? Those kids will right. want to see the other parent and, and however else that shakes out. And I think it's great that with your experience that they actually did listen to the kids, that the kids were able to give an opinion on what they wanted at the time um, and that they were old enough. Cause I remember from school, you know, they would ask the children or at least when we studied, they would ask the children, depending on their age and what jurisdiction you were in. Right. Mm -hmm. You're not going to necessarily exactly ask right. that three-year-old, <laughs> No, but a six-year-old. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. Yeah. As they get older, it, you know, they have more say in court and, yeah. and, and sometimes judges will listen to that. So you kind of have to know your judge and you have to know your child. Your child might just be playing you and thinking, I'm going to go to the house that's more fun. Yeah. Um, and, and you got to pay attention to that because kids need both parents. And it, and I represent um, gay couples. I represent lesbian couples uh, and straight couples, obviously. And it doesn't matter. It, it's not that they need a mother and a father and, and that the, the sex is what matters. It's the love. Those two people yeah. are the people who raised you. And so when, those two people are no longer living in the same household. You still have the love for both of them. Mm -hmm. That's how children feel. You know, they don't want to be alienated from a person unless that person does something where the child just is like, I can't anymore. Right. You know, and that, then you've got to be, yeah, you got to be cognizant of that. And that's when clients come back to me and say, here's what's going on. Can we lessen parenting time or lessen the exposure? Or, you know, one of the things that we see a lot right now, uh, marijuana use, alcohol, driving, those are all big, big family issues. So when, when I've got a client coming back to me saying, you know, my husband drove drunk with my child or um, uh, I use marijuana and now I failed my drug test. What am I going to do? Uh, those are things that the court takes very, very seriously. And we have a lot of really cool options right now for that. Um, there's a, they can blow in a breathalyzer that you can see the results immediately. That's called Soberlink. You can drug test before they pick up and immediately after they drop off. Uh, you can do a urine test. You can do a hair test. 
there are a lot of ways for a parent who has some substance abuse issues, if they're working through it and trying to get better, to still see their child. Uh, but it, so thank, you know, technology's changed that in a lot of ways. But you just have to be looking out for those things because yeah. that's a lot of what's going on in our culture right now. Yeah, it is. Okay. So no wonder you're top rated. <laughs> Talking about boring No, stuff. I love it because <laughs> every family is unique. So to choose to step into that and say, how can I make sure this is not a terrible situation, the most acrimonious situation, right? I, I commend that. I think that's really exceptional that you're doing that. So. Well, I, I think your podcast is fabulous. Um, well, when I was reading about why you started it, I thought it's such a good idea because when you're in school and like I was in a top five school and I was expected to go to a big firm and, you know, may, go up the corporate ladder in the big firm and become partner and, and just live that lifestyle, which I could not stand. I hated it. It did not work for me at all. Um, I thought it's so great for people to have this resource where they feel like, oh, I want to see how someone did it a different way. How, how did that work? Because you don't know. When you're in law school, they're just funneling you into law firm jobs. And if you don't get the law firm job, you feel like a loser. Or if you don't clerk for a justice or a, or a you know, federal judge somewhere, you feel like, oh, am I not doing it right? I didn't make law review. I mean, what's wrong with me? So it's helpful, I think, to hear all kinds of lawyers say, oh, I own my own business or I started my own firm or I do part time or whatever it is, to give people ideas that there's there's definitely other ways around it. You don't just have to make partner and, and suffer, <laughs> you know. No, absolutely. Because even in my own experience, being from Ohio, there's nine law schools here. So I was like, okay, the market's pretty saturated, right? You could throw a rock and hit a lawyer. There's a lot of lawyers here. So I was like, yes. I'll go to Louisiana where there's four in the whole state, right? There's four in Columbus, Ohio. So I was like, I'll go to Louisiana where it's different. I underestimated the culture. I underestimated not knowing people. I underestimated, right? Like I would go yeah. to job interviews and they're like, who's your dad? Who's your cousin? Who's your uncle? And I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, how did you get here? And mm -hmm. I'm like, I applied, but the truth is my mentor got me in the door because in those smaller communities, in those slower cities, you have to know someone. It's not the same as just applying online and showing up in New York or in yeah. Columbus. And you're like, hi, I applied. It's really yeah. based on relationships. And so I had to completely learn that. I was like, okay, this, I was not expecting it, right? So anything I can do to help law students to at least think again, right? Oh, you want to go to school there? Well, why do you want to go to school in Wisconsin? Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, what's mm -hmm. it going to be like when you move to New York? You know what I mean? If I can just get you to think about it, not talk you out of it, but just at least think about it again. Um, yeah, You know, for I just sure. want to help them. Well, and the debt, you know, the debt, when I came out of NYU, I had $120,000 worth of student loans and I was going to a job in Nashville that paid 60,000 a year. Well, my friends were coming out with jobs that paid 90 and uh, they moved up pretty quickly from that 90, you know, 90 became 120 real fast. And so they were able to pay. I mean, most of my friends were able to pay off their debt pretty quickly and I was not. I mean, I struggled. That was a long slog of paying that off. So uh, because I, I don't know if it's just the South or I think things are changing now with regard to associate salaries, but they're certainly lower. So if you're going to yeah. go take on that kind of debt, maybe think about going to your state school and being number one or five or 10 in your class and still getting into the big firm with that with that academic background and not that kind of debt. Because Absolutely. those guys that had gone to University of Tennessee came out and bought houses. And I'm like, well, my <laughs> mortgage is called 
you know, Fannie Mae. Like, I don't, I don't have a house. <laughs> no, that's absolutely correct and true. Like, you have to think about all those things. And, you know, getting into law school, taking the LSAT, all of that is such, I don't want to say it's a fun time, but it's such a busy time that you kind of just think about one step in front of the next, finish the test, apply to law schools, get into schools, and you're not thinking about four years later, my salary doesn't match, or how am I going to pay for this, or why do you have... So it is important that we make sure that law students and young lawyers are just thinking about things, right? Because another fun thing that I love about this podcast, to toot my own horn, is that I'm not telling you to leave the law. I'm saying, what if you tried family law and you went home and were crying every day because you couldn't handle the stories? Maybe you should try corporate, corporate. You know what I mean? mergers and acquisitions. <laughs> like you don't have to leave. Maybe that maybe you're just too much of an empath for that practice group. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> maybe you that's should for do, sure. you know what I mean? IP law or something. So it's just letting people know that there's options. So well and, and on that I'll say when I started my career, I was at a big firm in Nashville, Bassberry and Sims. Um I went into corporate right away. I thought that I had been in, I worked on Wall Street. I'd worked for a publicly traded company. I thought corporate law was going to be my jam. I was just A, bored, and B, working till we were, it was back in the days of IPOs. So we were working till one, two in the morning all the time. And I was single. I was young. I'm like, I want to go out. I want to have fun. I want to have a life. I don't want to work all weekend. I don't want to work every night till midnight. So I went into litigation and as much as I enjoyed court, which I loved, uh, and getting ready for court and getting ready for hearings and getting ready for trial, the the subject matter bored the heck I did a lot of me. I didn't like, I did tried med mal and I was like, yeah, I kind of care that, you know, that happened yeah. to you. But, uh, and it was the same with the big corporate, uh, and everybody talks, and you remember this from law school, everybody talks about, you got to get good work. You need meaningful work. You need to be at a firm that's got the good work. Well, what did that mean? That meant we had big companies with big class action lawsuits. Some people really get off on that. I'm in there going, oh, great. It's New Year's Eve and I'm at work at midnight because we got a big class action lawsuit. Mm -hmm. So I just didn't, none of that interested me. So I went into plaintiff's work. I switched from that and I went to a plaintiff's firm and I did like that better. But again, we were suing car companies. I'm like, I just don't care that the carburetor broke and then your car burned up. Like, I, I feel bad for the people. I liked doing the plaintiff side of it. I love not being the representative of the overdog anymore. But at the same time, the subject, if it had been Maybelline makeup, man, I would have known every chemical compound <laughs> that screwed up the mascara. I can promise you, I would have been a brilliant class action lawsuit a plaintiff's lawyer against some big makeup company or clothing manufacturer, but cars just didn't interest me. So when it was not until I got to family law where I could, my client was coming in my office, needing advice, needing my help, being uh, dependent on me, all the things that got me excited, that made me feel good about my job. That's where I found it was in family law. That's four different types of practice. And it took me, uh, I think I started in family law at maybe 40. So it took me a good long time to get there and figure that out. Yeah. And that's really important too, because a lot of the listeners of this podcast are young lawyers. So five years practicing or less. And so you're getting to that place where you're like, am I still thinking about partner or do I want to switch from being a public defender to going to, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And so it's like, do all of it, do none of it. (laughs) <laughs> and the, and you got to think about the money and you got to think about your lifestyle. 
-hmm. You know, I had a, when I was a plaintiff's attorney, I was traveling half the month. So 15 days a month. And I was 35 years old. I was ready to get married. I wanted kids. And, and the the man I married was not going to put up with me traveling 30 to, you know, 15 days out of 30 and having babies at home that couldn't work. So, uh, you do have to sort of look at each stage of your life. What, how much can you, can you put into your practice and how, and how do you want to change that? And not just women having babies, but men too, you Mm -hmm. know, they might want a job where somebody's not looking at them over their shoulder for their billable hours. Yeah. I mean, that definitely feels better. It does. It does. And it's funny because my roommate, my last year at law school, she could not wait to get out of school and get into big law. That was her whole focus the whole time she had been talking about big law. Well, I was the opposite. I thought I was going to do environmental practice and compliance. And so, of course, we switch. She ends up doing all of the compliance stuff and I end up in big law. Loved it. But then your happiness was just so different. And I mean, we didn't have a child then. We, I wasn't married at the time. And so I was like, oh, my God, this is great. Yeah, I'll do 85 hours. Yeah. And then I got married. And then I had a child. And then I was like, I don't want, you know, to put her to sleep at 730 and pick up my laptop at 8. Nope. I was like, okay, nope. now I got to change things. So yeah. it's weird how, like, even as your life changes, the things that you want out of your job and your career change, too. So Yeah. And, and I'll say this, too, as a 56-year-old woman. Um, what I've learned just about biology, um, you know, men start out their careers, they're full of testosterone, they're young, they've got all the energy in the world. And we tend to have this biological clock that's ticking. And so that's definitely going to interrupt our careers in some way, whether we, you know, have to hire nannies and, and they're helping us raise our kids or, or we decide to do it on our own or, and step out of the workforce or whatever. But we've got this, that other concern you know, that's a primary concern for us uh, that we have to balance with the career. But now that my children are older, I can full focus on my career. I mean, they drive, they cook for themselves. They're, they're easy to deal with. They like to go out to dinner with me. Um, They don't expect me to have meals sitting on the table. So as a single mom, actually, it's been easy with teenagers and I can really push. And, and that's when, and also I will say this as women after menopause, then we've got all the testosterone going, right? And the men start to lower. So they're kind of on, yeah. they're chilling out. You know, I've made partner and I'm good. I'm going to go for a month trip to Europe. And I'm thinking, I'm going to get in here and bill every billable hour I can because all of a sudden I don't have little kids needing mm-hmm. me to do this, that, and the other. I can take, my career can take off at 50. You know, so that's an unbelievable time that most yeah. people wouldn't even know. You can you can make a life change in the middle of it and, and come up with something new and and then you can bill your 85 hours. You've got the time for it now. Yeah, you got the time and the energy. And yeah, to do you it. do. You so. really do. You just got to look at, you know, life changes. It doesn't mean it's forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good point. Um, so, Anne, you gave us a lot of information about your background. But I do want to mention that you always say that you're focused on high asset and conflict cases. What does that mean when it comes to family law? High asset cases in the Nashville area tend to be around 20 million. Um, okay. There's some, of course it's Nashville. So that's, that's, there's much higher assets there as well, obviously. Um, but somewhere between five and 20 million is, is what I would consider a high asset case where you've got a lot to divide and figure out. 
uh, and probably some alimony is there as well. Although depending on the assets, there might not be. So that's that's where I would say would be more high net worth individuals. And then with um, the conflict comes, you know, with money comes trouble. And that tends to be where we see conflict. I'll be honest, I can have some of my less affluent clients be way more difficult than my affluent ones. Uh, it just depends. If you've got someone who's got the means to be a little psycho or, you know, twist the knife or be a little ugly, yeah. they may do it. And uh, they, they don't see a reason not to do it. They can afford their lawyer to go do that. Um, and then you get high conflict lawyers who like that kind of work. And we all like money. I sure do. But I don't necessarily want to go to court with 72 um, motions for contempt. I think that mm -hmm. that's just a problem, right? That doesn't make sense. It's almost like you're not doing your job right if you can't get your client under control and the other side can't get their client under control to narrow the issues down. If there really is something, you know, if someone is a drug addict and shouldn't be around the child or someone's not paying their alimony or somebody's remarried and now they're, they're cohabiting and they shouldn't be getting their alimony. Any of those things could be going on. Um, those are real, but you know, to make up a bunch of problems so that we can write a new brief and follow with the court and make more money. I would prefer that not to happen to any of my clients. Yeah. Okay. So I want to spotlight something that you said. You've mentioned a couple of times about going to court and if you go to court and go into court, People always think if you're a litigator, big firm, you're going to court. Family lawyers go to court. It's the most fun. <laughs> I love it so much. It's so true. People always overlook that. But I'm like, family lawyers go to court. And it's not only if there's like a will you have to contest or, you know what I mean, an adoption. To your point, you're saying if there's a divorce settlement and you guys can't work it out in mediation or whatever, you will go to court or to have things, you know, signed. Will you give us a little bit more detail about that? Yeah, definitely. Especially for people who, who love court and want to litigate, which I, I love being in court. I get nervous. I start to shake. I get my breathing gets weird. And, uh, and I just, and my adrenaline's going and I do all these little tricks, you know, to breathe deeply and, and yeah. focus. And I do love you do the all that. Superwoman pose? Yeah, yeah, I do. I do it right before I walk in. I'll just stand in the hall. Um, I do all those things and I love those things. I like, I like all that. It's very exciting to me. If you do like trial work, if that is something you want to do, family law is the place for you because uh, I would say I try at least one full divorce case a year and I'm in court two or three times a month on hearings. Um, sometimes they're half a day. Sometimes they're a whole day. Sometimes you're just there for, a, you know, a quick motion or something, but you're get you get to know the other lawyers. You get to know the judges. You're really, really working with them. Um, I enjoy all of that. It's a lot of camaraderie. Uh, and I will say that the guys I know that are in big law, big corporate litigation, they're not in, in court anymore. And one of my, one of my really close friends is a um, fabulous litigator. She's in super lawyers, best lawyers, blah, blah. She's still at Bass. Um, she's always being recognized, but she can't get the trial work that would get her that, you know, to get a, be a trial specialist or to uh, get into the American College of Trial Lawyers. Those kind of trial lawyer things are not available in big law very often anymore. So um, now, you know, insurance defense is another way to go and you could be in court a lot, but it just doesn't pay the way family law pays. So to me, it's a, if you like to try lawsuits, 
and you can handle the clients because that is, like you said earlier, if you're too much of an empath or or you just get annoyed, then family law is not for you. But you could yeah. buffer yourself. You know, you could get um, associates or people who, who do handle the clients well and, and buffer yourself a little bit. So it's something to consider. You can always try it, but you, you do get to get into court. And I love that. Yeah. I'm always, I love to always spotlight that whenever people are talking about family law and going to court because it's just overlooked. I think in law school, we just kind of overlook it a little bit too, um, especially in like your mock trial. I don't remember any of the case examples being like family law and having to talk that out. So, Oh no, it's always some big construction case that you're like, mm-hmm. wait, what? I don't care who built that building. <laughs> I don't care that it leaks. Like what? That's it? Yeah. No, it's so goofy. <laughs> so yeah. No, I love it. it. It's good. And and I'll say, too, when you're in law school, you aren't thinking about taking family law. I didn't take it. Um, I remember it was out there and I was like, what is that? I don't even know what that is. I took employment law and I liked that. I took, you know, some some sort of off uh, when you start getting into seminars and stuff. And I enjoy mm-hmm. those smaller classes. But family law, I thought, who does that? I, mean, yeah. I don't even know. So here I am. I should have taken it. <laughs> But of course, if you would have taken it, then you would have ended up doing something else. So that's just the way things work. That's exactly right. (laughs) So you did mention those trial certificates. Did you sign up for those before you were in family law when you were doing your other practice areas? I am not certified by the National Board of Child Advocacy yet. Um, I I haven't. They do have a certification in family law. I've just honestly, I've just been so busy um, that I haven't done it. But I did. Oh, this is a good one for uh, kids that are already in law school or young associates who want to get into litigation. I when I started back up my practice after being a stay at home mom, uh, I had a big trial. Uh, The case was worth about eight million. And I felt like. I was a little rusty in trial. I was not, I wasn't as confident as I thought I could have been since I'd taken that time off. So I went to the um, National Institute of Trial Advocacy. Um, They have a trial school. They have a trial school for general litigation, but they also have one for family law. So I did that. That's a 10 day trial school. You're in school all day long and you're just being broken down over and over by national experts. They bring in attorneys from all over the country and I knew some people who had done it. I didn't know anybody who'd done it in family law, but I knew some of my mentors had uh, done it back in the 80s and 90s. And I thought, this is important. I want to do it. And it is, to me, it is the best experience I had with how to put an entire family law um, trial together from start to finish with experts, witnesses, depositions, um, all of that. It was really, really one of the best experiences I've ever had. It's like a like a little mini litigation class in a nutshell. And yeah. and bang for the buck, I think it was about three thousand dollars, and so worth it. Uh, and so now I do have that certification. So that is okay. a big one to me. I'm super proud of that. But I would yeah. recommend it to anybody, especially if you're in litigation now and you say you've been practicing four or five years and you feel like all you're doing is carrying somebody's briefcase. Go get it. Meet some other people who are out there trying lawsuits like you are. I wasn't the oldest person in there by any means. There were some other people um, in their 40s like me who either just hadn't had time to do it, but knew they wanted to get that experience. Um, and it's a it's an intense experience. It, it's kind of like your first year of law school when your professor first calls on you and you're thinking, yeah. I'm going to throw up. It's that every day, all day, but it's really worth it. <laughs> but in a good way, right? Yes, yeah, in a really good way. Yes, very much. Because <laughs> someone's listening like, 
why would I do that? <laughs> <laughs> well, you just made it. If you made it through law school, you can definitely make it through this. It's, and oh, and yeah. you're with colleagues. You're already a lawyer at that point, right? So you're with all these people that you look up to and you think, mm -hmm. how can I get that career trajectory? What does that look like? How do I make my law firm look like theirs? How do I make my practice look like that? How do I attract those kind of clients? So that's how you meet new people who are doing what you do, um, but they're already light years ahead of you. And there you get your new mentors or your new um, inspiration. Yeah. And you know, there's so much strength in saying, I don't know something teach me or show me a better way. So I'm sure everyone that you see and meet when you're in that class, you guys are automatically going to have like an advantage because you're like, I'm willing to be humble and say, I don't know this. Teach me how to be better. And exactly. I'm sure it'll make your practice better. It, 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 it'll jumpstart it. I would say it like that. Like you could spend another 10 years practicing family law and never get the intensity um, and the practice and the practical skills that you'll get in 10 days. I sound like I'm I'm their ad, and I should be. They should make me their ad. <laughs> we'll have to send them this recording, yeah, <laughs> so they can do it. All right, and so I have just one last question for you, and that is: Do you have any advice for law students or young lawyers about what they can do with their law degree? First advice would be: Don't be discouraged if you're not happy with what you're doing right now. You can do a million things with your law degree. Um, I actually was so unhappy when I first started practicing. I went back to my former employer and I was begging them for a job. I said, I want to come back. I'll work in any department. I just don't want to practice yeah. law anymore. Um, so I've been there and I think you just have to keep, keep looking at it, figure out what part of it you like. If, for instance, if you do like business or you do like finance, you may end up working inside um, a financial advisor or inside a money manager. That might be the place for you. Um, you don't have to be stuck with your law degree. It shows people that two things. It shows people you're really smart and you really work hard. And, mm -hmm. you know, from there, especially now with what's going on and people feel so skeptical about hiring millennials and calling them snowflakes and all that. If you've got a law degree, they know that you can you can do the work. Yeah. And that's what lawyer, that's what employers want. So it doesn't have to be a law firm. Um, but just you do have to look at what interests you, because if you're not interested in it, you're not going to want to do it very hard and very much. And you're not going to be all that good at it. I don't think I was a very good employee because I always had a bad attitude. Now that I run my own law firm, I have a great attitude. Every paycheck that comes in is my money, right? And and I decide how it gets spent. And I decide, do I want to spend it on a website? Or am I just going to go out and buy a couple pairs of shoes? Or are we going to reinvest in some, some continuing education? So, you know, you do have to pay your dues to get the mm -hmm. experience that gets you credibility. That is for sure. But I would not say that you have to be stuck doing what you're doing if you don't like it. Start looking around at what you could do that, that you would enjoy. Because what my grandfather said to me was, if you do what you love, you will never work a day in your life. And that's just the truth. That's the truth. Yeah. But you have $8 million, you know, cases. And sometimes they're $20 million cases. How can that not be work? But you're, you get to fulfill your passions. You get to be a business owner, all of those kind of things. You're not like slogged down and depressed and like, oh, here I am doing this terrible work. It, it actually is right. a joy for you mm -hmm. to go and yeah. do it. And I know if you're still in law school, you're like, how can I get there? You just got to, you know, continue on with the steps and then look at what you really enjoy and where you want to practice and what you want to do with your degree. Yeah. And I would say don't follow the money necessarily. I really did do that because of the the big debt that I had coming out of NYU back then, it was the most expensive law school in the country. 
I guess because we had to live in New York, you know, and uh, and I was really I followed the money. I just thought I can't afford to go do something fun or easygoing or cool. I need to go where the money is. And uh, I would say give yourself a second to think about that, you know. But just do what you love and you can be really good at it. And if you're really good at it, you'll make money doing it. Yeah, this is true. Yeah. Because your competency alone, people will pay you for that experience. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Anne. Uh, It was a pleasure to talk to you today. Thanks, Kyla. I love being on your podcast. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for listening to You Are a Lawyer. If you enjoyed this episode, leave a rating tell a friend about this podcast, and subscribe to the show so that you never miss a new episode. New episodes are released every other Thursday. Thanks again for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Bye.